0: Greetings, both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at Simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. So I've been listening to an audiobook about Leonardo da Vinci, which is, you know, kind of fun when we talked about him during our interesting tournament, although it is kinda as we realized at the end that he's not actually that interesting, he's just brilliant. Okay. It's almost it's almost like saying, like, Well, was Albert Einstein that interesting of a guy, or to have that interesting of a life, oh, or were right. his ideas just mind blowing? And so maybe that's yeah maybe that's more who Da Vinci was. Not that it isn't interesting when you look back and see like you know like actually I was just listening to oh he's like hanging around this small town while they're on a trip and it's like him like the main uh, Borgia guy and Machiavelli are all just like pounding around. So I mean it's that's interesting and the sheer breadth of all his work, but it's actually all connected if you think about from inventions to art to architecture. It's really all about form. And he was kind of just this ultimate student of form. And that's kind of the umbrella right. under which everything else kinda fits. But yeah, the book almost kinda well, reads slash listens like an art history class. And so it's a little too much focused on here's what this painting inspires in the viewer. And one would not it's mm-hmm. it's like eh Okay, yeah. <laughs> like
1: cool, not, but not my bag. But... Right, right.
0: <laughs> so, and, and and there is some stuff on his life. It's almost like not even enough about his life. The one thing I found most interesting was actually how this is the you know late 1400s, early 1500s. He was basically openly gay, and no one cared because like Florence was so ahead of the time on stuff like that that it's not like it was allowed, but also no one cared. So. Leonardo da Vinci was the guy dressed all bizarre and kind of flamboyantly walking across the streets. Why is that but yeah.
1: Why is that not like more talked about? Yeah, like is why is that not a more well known thing? Like, obviously, like we have heard that before, or at least I had heard that before, but like I also am interested in history stuff, whereas your average person probably doesn't know that. Right, right. You kinda hear more about Michelangelo and less about Leonardo's
0: sexuality, I feel like, for whatever reason. And maybe that's because Michelangelo. and again, I this is just kind of from memory and it could be wrong, but like I was thinking Michelangelo was maybe more repressed about it and kind of remained celibate because he didn't like his um innate urges, versus Leonardo one didn't have any like public affairs with like prominent people. It's more just like he had boy toys on the side that he was kind of casual with and like no one cared. So it was just like This thing over here there was it it wasn't part of his art or his life struggle i guess
1: oh okay yeah (laughs) i guess i don't know like when you think about you know stuff like that like you think about like uh well even like recently like famously gay artists where maybe even it's not part of their art or their struggle necessarily but like it's still something that's known about them yeah fair whereas with leonardo da vinci it's really you know it's it's not and it's Arguably a bigger deal because of the time period, how long ago it was,
0: yeah, right. But I guess it's always like I said, it's always one of those things where it sounds like it was less of a big deal in 15th century Florence than it was when Oscar Wilde was going around in England and Ireland, you know, just a hundred years ago. Like it was a bigger deal more recently, I guess, because I mean, Oscar Wilde gets imprisoned, sure, and Leonardo da Vinci, like no one cared, anyway. And then the other person I wanted to bring back up from our discussion of our tournament. Last summer Timelines are kind of screwy here with how we record But uh, I just ran across the idea that Cardinal Richelieu may have Invented the butter knife Basically because You know he's like the constant Political mover and kind of a Machiavellian type in his own right Right And yeah. was paranoid about assassination
1: Well and rightly so Because well, like, right? <laughs> you, like You're not paranoid if they actually Are trying to kill you <laughs>
0: right so hey we want to have knives with our meal but i could get stabbed by a sharp knife hence cardinal richelieu had developed uh dull knives that you could use with your meal that would not be a threat to his life i'm like okay that's kind of neat
1: i will say out of all the people in the tournament i think the one that i had like the most long lasting impact of wow that person is really interesting is cardinal richelieu like He was just, the expectation for him, at least for me, was so low, then he ends up being insanely fascinating and involved in so much stuff and had a huge impact on, like, the political environment of, like, all of Europe. I think he might be the number one, like, sleeper hit on that whole out of that whole tournament I, I would call that
0: the one who the needle moved the most for so you basically who we yeah. came in thinking before and then then after you would say richelieu the needle moved the most right. for you with him and actually that makes me wonder the same thing but i'm gonna actually pull up the bracket here real quick to see who the biggest needle mover was uh for me man of course it's like not to rehash the whole the whole tournament, and a lot of them, <laughs> and a lot of them, I already, I already came in with high a high opinion of how interesting they were.
1: Well, I mean, we we were putting them on a list of the most interesting people in in all of history. So true,
0: true, and especially if they're people then that I had already researched, you're in more of a position to have the needle moved than I was right. by having already discussed yeah. them in the first place. So yeah, that makes sense. So I would say maybe. If I go back farther, then from like before I started the podcast at all, the one that pops right away for me might be like a Catherine de Medici, Mm. who's almost like you don't even even hear of her. It's like, wait, which one was she? Is she related to the, like, so she's almost a name you don't even know. Well, of course, then the Trung sisters we didn't even, hadn't even heard of. Yeah. Anyway, the one other thing, and I don't think we mentioned this yet. I think I talked to you off air that I wanted to mention this. So if this is a repeat of information, I apologize. But, it's actually uncanny the amount of Stevens Hopkins <laughs> we have discussed oh. on the podcast, so it's like, yeah. we were talking about guys named Stephen Hopkins in multiple episodes without ever actually noticing that we were kept bringing up Stephen Hopkins because they're all different guys, right so uh in chronological order of uh <laughs> their lives lived so on the Mayflower, the Pilgrim's Adventure one, there was a passenger who had a who had a son born while while the boat was on route, and that man right. was named Stephen Hopkins.
1: Right the the guy who's the guy the adult, not the son, because wasn't the son named yes. like Oceanus or something? Yes, they,
0: he named his son Oceanus, but the the father of Oceanus was one Stephen Hopkins, who also. Uh and I didn't really notice at the time we didn't do a deep dive on the random guy who is on the Mayflower here, but he's a distant ancestor of the actress Allison Janney. I watched one of those Who Am I or Find Your Roots or whatever shows. Yeah. You know, kind of sponsored by Ancestry. And he was the guy they kind of focused on Is like, you know, his whole life that he actually had been to the oh maybe the Bahamas or something before and then went back and then came over on the Mayflower and all these kinds of things that we really didn't mention first time around, and he's an ancestor of hers. And then, the next Stephen Hopkins was in, actually, <laughs> this is a bonus episode, so we won't have talked about him yet, but we've already recorded about him. The Rhode Island uh, governor and signer of the Declaration of Independence that we will see in the film 1776, I think he's the drunk right. one, that's also yeah. Stephen Hopkins. Yeah, right, yeah. And then that Stephen Hopkins actually has a had a World War II ship named after him. Both of those guys are not to be confused with Stephen Hopkins, the congressman from New York from the 1880s. <laughs> and they are not to be confused with the director of The Ghost in the Darkness, who we That's just the other talked one about. That, yeah, okay. Who is also named Stephen Hopkins. Uh, and then there's also a couple of musicians who are still alive today. Uh, one, a British guy who's kind of like think thing on like the British punk scene in the 80s. And then a composer still working in L.A. today. And those guys are both also Stephen Hopkins.
1: That's funny. So
0: just kind of funny. And, and actually, they're all kind of connected to the history or movie or music or entertainment world or whatever, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. So, hey, uh, shout out <laughs> to all the Stevens Hopkinses out there in the world listening. <laughs> Statistically, it's very likely that, what, probably a third of our listeners must be named Stephen Hopkins? <laughs> At this point, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So today's bonus episode brings us a. Well, I don't want to say the movie itself was interesting, but it's an interesting choice of a movie for us to do. And it's largely just because, one, this is a hard time period to find movies about that are even halfway decent. This one's like a 6.0 on IMDb. Uh, and also. It's basically because I didn't want to redo The Last of the Mohicans which I already did an episode on back probably in 2018 or whenever back kind of early days of the podcast pre-Logan and I just didn't want to do two episodes on the same movie although I re-listened to that one just a couple of days ago to kind of see what I talked about. Okay. Those episodes were so short, you could totally rehash it and it wouldn't be a big deal. I just didn't want to really I just didn't want to have two episodes in the feed that were the same same movie. So this is kind yeah. of a proxy in a lot of ways for that if you haven't yet looked at the name of this episode and attempted to pronounce it i'm fairly actually confident it's just Gook. chingakook like just it's almost like phonetic even though it looks kind of weird Guk, yeah. chingakook right and then the subtitle is the great serpent uh and there's also a german name for that this is a 1967 german film
1: east german oh is it east german i didn't notice that okay yeah it's apparently it's It's part of a genre called Red Westerns or Osterns. They were like Western movies, some of them just in kind of the style of American Westerns, but set in like Soviet Russia. And then some of them are actually set in the American West, but they're called Red Westerns because they were Western movies, but made by Soviet countries.
0: Oh, so I I saw the term sauerkraut Western as opposed to spaghetti Western.
1: Oh, okay. I see. I didn't see that. Because it's
0: German, I guess it would fit both. Right. It's
1: kind of a red. It's a red sa- This is a, you know, it's a red sauerkraut film. You know, <laughs> we'll, yeah. We're starting a whole series on red sauerkraut films. Oh, I hope not, because I did not like this movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was, one. It was it was short, and thank God, it was relatively painless because it's just so mundane that uh, yeah. It's yeah, anyway. Uh, so it's technically a prequel. To the Last of the Mohicans, and that in and of itself is about the most interesting thing I can say about it. <laughs> yep, it's a movie version of the Deerslayer, the James Fenimore Cooper novel that is set before, and actually quite a bit before, sixteen years before The Last of the Mohicans.
1: And aren't there? I'm I'm not that familiar with the novels, but aren't there multiple novels that star or that have the Deerslayer as a character? Y- uh, yeah, about f- five. Yeah, because I know that this Chingachgook is a character he's like a minor background character in last of the mohicans no not even minor background character it's a, it's his main sidekick oh it's a, oh okay yeah yeah yeah. it's the yeah okay it's his native american buddy the
0: last of the mohicans like that is chinkagook and right. i I thought it was crazy that like we, we were like oh man i've never seen that word before and it's like no he's list, literally listed in imdb as chinkagook and he just i feel like in last of the mohicans they just never say his name
1: Maybe that's what I'm thinking, because they never say his name. Because yeah. he is listed in the credits as Chinga Gook. Yes. Okay. But I just don't think they ever call him that or, or t- mention him by his name. But, I don't think they did either. But there are there are multiple James Fenimore Cooper books that have the Deerslayer too, right? Or is is the Deerslayer only in the one novel? Like the character?
0: Yeah. No, so that's the same guy too. So the, the Deerslayer okay.
1: in this movie
0: is daniel D. lewis's character in last of the mohicans i thought it was a different guy so he's got multiple names so it's it's all this natty bumpo slash the deer slayer slash the Pathfinder okay. slash hawkeye he seems they give him different names but every source you find says they're actually the same character and he dresses the same
1: right well that was the thing so deer slayer in this movie is natty bumpo yes Okay, I see. I didn't. I didn't make that connection. I thought they were different characters. It's,
0: yeah, the naming is weird. No, I I do understand the confusion. It's kind of bizarre that it's almost like who? Why did he decide to not? I, anyway, it is kind of bizarre. But yeah, so the main duo here of this white guy who likes to pal around with Native Americans and the Chingachgook last Mohican guy. Those that's the exact same duo that we see in Last of the Mohicans, character wise. Okay, which is, and so actually, right. then to go one further than that. Because this is 16 years earlier, so in The Last of the Mohicans, the third one with them is Chingachgook's son. Well, his mom is who they're rescuing in this movie.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. And he
0: will then be born shortly after, well, we'll say about nine months after this movie. <laughs> he'll be born, <laughs> and then so 16 years later, he's a teenager in the Last of the Mohicans. So, again, the movie itself is not worth watching at all, don't bother, but no. I thought that aspect
1: of it was neat. Even though, it, if you want to, though, it is for free on YouTube. You can find it. True, For true. free on YouTube. Right. But don't bother. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. And the whole thing's in German, so... <laughs> it's one of those things... Again, I've never been a big fan of So Bad It's Good.
0: And this, I thought, was kind of amusing. Not... but I don't know. Don't watch it. But, like... Just a bunch of white Germans dressed as Native Americans.
1: Like, I don't know. It's like Okay, I am a fan of So Bad It's Good, and this is not this is not that. Okay, because it's not bad enough. Because it's not bad enough to be funny. Right, yeah. It's just Yeah, okay. It's just kinda it's just kinda bad. Right. It's just kinda bland, yeah. Yeah. Just like I get irked watching movies where they make English unnecessarily make english a proxy language for some other language that they could just have the actors speak that language this did the same thing because all the indians are speaking german and all the british are speaking german and it's like well it kind of highlights how ridiculous how ridiculous it is when we see the reverse
0: because we're so used to the reverse and
1: just ignoring it yeah and you're watching this thinking like this is dumb especially because they add stuff in where it's like They say they'll say a couple English words or phrases like they'll be talking in German and And then say, yes, "Yes, sir. sir." Right.
0: (laughs) And honestly, I guess I almost assumed that maybe yes,
1: sir, is just the same in German. But obviously it's not right. It's it's not. It's not. But it's it's so it's similar to what it reminded me of, which is basically the exact opposite is in the old TV show Hogan's Heroes, where all of the Germans speak English english yeah but they all say you know yabble uh, and stuff like that so it's like okay so th- it's, that's the equivalent of like adding in the little yes sir <laughs> you know because that is something you know that's like a a very common oh but then there was another one where i forget what they were talking about but the guy that deer slayer is with i think they're talking about like his affinity for the indians or something but he yes. calls him greenhorn in english says the, the word green Oh right And it's like Which what What, is, what does that mean actually I, I've heard that term But I don't know what it means It I think it means like You're like naive Like a Like a young naive or like Oh a,
0: you're 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 green Okay yeah 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 Just naive Okay Yeah uh, I will Let's go ahead And I'm just gonna Instead of necessarily Rehashing from my notes I'm just gonna read The letterbox Summary Of this film And that'll probably about Do all we need to do there Cause obviously Everything in this is is fictional. So even like in the, right. in, the uh, in the last Mohicans, they actually at least incorporated an actual battle and a couple of actual people. This does not seem to have that at all. No. Although I did think it was interesting, they have an exact date. We hear the British officers talk, and we get yeah. an exact date, right. October first, seventeen forty. That, as far no. as I can tell, has no significance to anything whatsoever. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the letterbox summary is Chingagook, a Mohawk-born Delaware warrior, strives to rescue his wife, even though they're not yet married, Watawa from the clutches of an enemy camp of Huron. Joined by his trusted huntsman, Deerslayer, the two confront racist pioneers and brutal British soldiers in their quest. Deerslayer catches the desire of Judith and thus the jealousy of her suitor, Harry. The action of the story functions like a seesaw. Characters continually traveling back and forth between a house on the lake and the Huron camp until the violent climax. And yeah, it really just like kind of that. She gets kidnapped, so they go to try to rescue her, and then like some of the guys the white guys get kidnapped, and then they have to exchange a prisoner exchange. And it is kind of just the seesaw is probably a good word to uh describe the going back and forth. I did think the house on the lake was cool. Kind of a cool setting. Yeah. That this this uh guy kind of lived alone in the wilderness, but like on the center of a lake to kind of help protect him. So it was harder to uh, get to him. Right, That was kind of a neat little uh, setting. I do have some notes here that are worth uh, things that kind of came up. So uh, a big one in the film is the act of scalping. And they talk about scalps being worth a lot of money. And that yes. confused me at first and still kind of does. So I thought they meant like, almost like coonskin's. You could sell them to be made for ha- like, so I, was like, I thought they were like selling them for like some kind of collector's value kind of thing. And I couldn't find anything that led me to see that that was correct. But what was very common was bounties that you could turn in native scalps to the government to get a bounty as they're trying to help clear out the Indian population.
1: Was that going on at this time or would that have been later on?
0: All throughout, like all throughout. Okay.
1: So the British government,
0: well, right, or the local colonial government, like the Massachusetts, or the, the
1: colonial government,
0: okay. right, right, yeah. It was. I think it even got bigger in the 1800s, maybe, but yeah. But if that's where you were going, but like it was, seems like it was a practice even going back to the 1600s, and just and basically just the the scalp became your receipt to prove you had killed an Indian, right, yeah. And they would pay more for a you know a male over twelve than for women and children and all those kinds of things, and then scalping from like movies from like the 20th century we always associate with something that the natives were doing to the whites but it sounds like it was a mutual thing and if anything increased by the whites doing it to get these bounties and then the indians were doing it in retaliation although native american tribes were doing it to each other before the europeans came over so it wasn't just a savage thing the natives were doing if anything that narrative is part of the narrative that was being pushed to help justify later taking their land and all these kinds of things. Like, oh yeah, they're doing all that stuff, ignoring the fact that the whites were doing it to them as well. And then scalping in general has actually been done all over the world and all throughout time here. They have found a 5,000-year-old body in Sweden that had been scalped. Herodotus talked about people scalping each other around the Black Sea area around his time, which is what, you know, 2,000 years ago. Bands of... Female warriors in West Africa reportedly scalped their enemies in battle just a couple hundred years ago. And allied troops would even scalp the Japanese during World War II in the Pacific Theater. So it's kind of just always been a thing. Yeah, just the movie deals with it. We've never really mentioned it on the podcast. So I I thought scalping was worth a mention. Yeah. So then Chingagook. Is fictional as we've mentioned, but it's possible he's based on a real man, kind of just known as Captain John. That there's not even like a hyperlink to it, I don't really know anything about him other than he may have been Fenimore Cooper's inspiration. And he's actually, him and his son Uncas are actually tied to Boy Scout lore. The Boy Scouts have something called the Order of the Arrow. And in, like, the Boy Scout legend that they just kind of, like, fabricate for their little stuff here, <laughs> it is said that Uncas, Chungagook's son, it was, like, the first member of the Order of the Arrow. So, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of included in Boy Scout lore there. Oh, and then the one other thing on uh, Fenimore Cooper, well, he's, you know, all, his, all these books are set in, like, upstate New York. Right. Because his dad founded Cooperstown, New York. James Fenimore Cooper, as in my dad founded Cooperstown. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I I just found that out like two days ago. (laughs) So uh, Fenimore Cooper went to Yale and then served in the Navy. Uh, He wrote about 30 novels, but also other plays, biographies, and lots of other things. But yes, as you've already mentioned, he he is best known for his series of leather stocking tales written between 1823 and 1841.
1: Is that what this... This, like, series of books is called The Leather Stocking Tales with Deerslayer and Chingachgook and... Yes,
0: yes. I think Chingachgook's okay. in four of the five, and then Natty Bumpo is in all five, and he kind of wrote them out of order, too, and so they, they kind of do cover a lot of years. The other thing I wanted to talk about was, just briefly, they do mention the two tribes by name, the Delaware and the Huron, but kind of like in... Well, the Huron-Roxalo is actually the, the bad guy in Last of Mohicans is also Huron, but... Mm-hmm. He he doesn't really get much right here. He just kind of uses the tribe names as placeholders. So uh, the Delaware were, or at least according to one side I found, the first tribe to be in contact with the European colonists. Delaware is the name given to them by the Europeans. That's not what they called themselves. There was a governor of Jamestown called Lord Lord Delaware, and they were a peaceful people. And there's a very limited amount of historical information online, like just. I found, like, multiple sites talking about the Delaware, and they were all, like, just copy and pasted of each other. Like, there was just very, very little uh, information out there. Um, I wanted to find, like, what was their relationship like with the Huron or anything like that. Couldn't find it.
1: So that was probably then made up whole cloth yeah, for yeah. the story, and then he just slapped a name on there of a tribe that he knew the name of.
0: They were, in the, and they were in the right area, and we know, like, the Huron right. did have issues with the... Uh, Oh shoot! Uh, uh, The Iroquois—it's like I know that that's documented, but like the Delaware were kind of just a peaceful tribe that left everybody alone. They also were like kind of friendly to a fault because they're like, "Oh, these Europeans are struggling." Well, of course, you can use this land. Oh, hey, the Europeans give us gifts. Aren't we all friends? And the Europeans are like, "Uh, "That wasn't a gift. We just bought that land." And the Delaware are like, "Oh, that stinks." Jeez. And then they were one of the tribes relocated to Oklahoma uh, in the 19th century. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, again, I, that's kind of. I mean, that's better than being wiped out, I guess. And and I mentioned last time I didn't read write it down here in my notes. Worth mentioning, as I talked about, of course, four years ago now or whatever. That his buddy wasn't the last of the Mohicans. Like again, that was just Fenimore Cooper making stuff up. There's still Mohicans around today. <laughs> it's like mm, right, yeah. He just he just made that up so uh the huron are also kind of associated with the wyandot in some some sites it seems like maybe just two names for the same tribe or of course the huron also had been kind of devastated by not just disease but also their battles with the iroquois and then i think they kind of combined with another tribe and it it gets kind of confusing there but like the delaware were around the delaware river uh the huron were around lake huron um although here it is the opposite the lake is actually named for the tribe not the other way around And same thing, I couldn't really find what they were up to uh, in 1740. They had previously battled the Iroquois and allied with the French. And then 20 years after this story today, in 1760, they did sign a treaty with the British. But again, same thing. There's just not a lot of historical details. It's more just like, here's the people. They existed. They kind of got moved around. But we don't necessarily have like a historical record like you would with, I guess because they weren't writing stuff down. So I don't know. But yeah cooper just kind of made everything up uh i didn't know if you had anything else about the film
1: not to beat a dead horse i just didn't i just didn't really like it i thought it was kind of boring yeah the acting's not great the effects are essentially non-existent
0: the fighting's bad the fighting's pretty bad yeah
1: <laughs> it's always oh, it's terrible yeah, it's just, not, it's just not very good. Yeah, this
0: is the whole, like, I'm going to, like, awkwardly raise my hand and karate chop you on the neck, and now you're going to, like, uh fall backwards into the water. And it's just so dumb. Yeah. So, yeah, we did kind of want to just fill in a little bit of this gap in the timeline. And then also, the whole reason we actually wanted to include this bonus episode is as an excuse to talk about a figure we won't have time to talk about later. So in October of 1740, since that is when this movie is set, someone like a Benjamin Franklin was 34 years old and living in Philadelphia. uh, But one George Washington would have been an eight-year-old boy in 1740. And then the sequel to this film gets into the beginnings of the French and Indian War. So we're going to use today as an excuse to talk about George Washington in more detail than we kind of have time for. In later episodes. So Logan, tell us all there is to know about George Washington.
1: So George Washington uh, was born in February of 1732 in Pope's Creek, Virginia. So you are correct. He would have been eight years old at the time of this movie. He was born into a uh, wealthy family that had a lot of land and farmed tobacco, which like we talked about in uh, The New World and Pocahontas episodes for Couple hundred years that's gonna be a, a very profitable line of work to be in in uh the southern colonies of the the New World. He spent much of his uh his late teen years as a surveyor in present day Virginia and uh West Virginia, making maps. He actually in seventeen fifty one made his only trip outside of the colonies in his entire life. Oh wow. Uh to Barbados. And while he was there, he got smallpox and that left him with some facial scars for the rest of his life. But I just thought that was interesting that he's, I guess I never really thought about it, but yeah, George Washington only went outside of the the colonies that later became the United States one time in his whole life.
0: Right. You think of him as being so worldly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh.
1: But I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. It, it's It's almost like... He traveled once outside of his country, and then the next time he entered a new country, it was because he just made his own new country where he already lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, so he was too young to be involved in any of like this phase of the conflict between the Indians, the French, and the British, but he did enter that conflict later on, after he got a commission in the Virginia militia in 1752, and he was shipped off to the Ohio River Valley, specifically the uh Ohio Forks, which is present-day Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, like Three Rivers Stadium spot, right? If you're talking about the Forks, probably. Oh, is I, I I'm not. Sure. So
0: it was, it, the old the old stadium was called Three Rivers because three three rivers converge at Pittsburgh, so that's why the stadium was called like Three
1: Rivers Stadium. And so you're talking about the oh, Forks. Okay. And I'm guessing that's the same spot. I'm guessing it's probably the same spot, too. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But he was actually involved in the incident that kind of sparked off the whole French and Indian War, which is what, that's what we call it here in the States. In Europe, they call it the Seven Years' War. Um, And it was almost like a world war, but, you know, we call it the French and Indian War because here in what would later become the United States, it was a war between the colonies and then the French and the Indians that were fighting on, on both sides for control of the Ohio river Valley. Uh, but that incident was the, uh, it happened in that area, the, the Ohio forks area. And basically there was like a small French force. So the the French and the British were both building these forts all in that area. So there was a, a small French force that was approaching this fort or this area where George Washington was, he gets word about it from some Indians that are in the area and goes out to intercept them, and they end up ambushing them and killing a few of them. So that's like the first shots fired in this, like, in the French and Indian War. Then a larger French force comes and kind of captures him or surrounds him, and they basically force him to sign this document that was he didn't really know what he was signing because he didn't speak french but the document was basically poorly explained to him as like oh yeah you just signed this saying that like hey you know you you killed our guys but like you know it's cool or whatever but when he signed it he was admitting to assassinating these french soldiers and so it was i mean there were a lot of other big world geopolitical factors that were involved in the start of this war. But that incident is kind of like the Lexington and Concord of the French and Indian war. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And George Washington just happened to be in command of this unit. That was the Virginia militia unit that was involved in the, in this battle. So he fought in the war, uh, leading soldiers acted as a guide because he knew the area very well. Then after the war was, over he left the Virginia militia because he wanted to be an officer in the regular British Army, but the British wouldn't let any like colonial officers come into the British military because they thought they were like lesser they thought they were dumb, they thought that they you know they didn't have the 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 right upbringing the right status and uh that you know kind of came back to bite him in the butt like you know twenty years after this but um yeah, so they weren't letting any colonials commission into the regular army so he just left. He inherited uh the Mount Vernon estate from his half brother's father-in-law in 1761 because huh. his half brother his half brother was dead. And so he inherited it in 1761 along with a bunch of the slaves that were there, which I'll talk about that later on. He was a representative for Virginia at the 2nd Continental Congress and ended up being put in command of the continental army and uh i (laughs) think it's kind of funny how that happened because he wasn't like specifically asking to be put in command like he never said i am george washington formally request to be made in command of the army but he did show up to the meetings in his military uniform every day (laughs) and was the only delegate that was doing that so they're like uh okay, <laughs> you can you can be the commander of the army, I guess.
0: <laughs> you must be a very imp- important soldier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And he
0: was a big guy too, right? Like he was a tall, intimidating right. presence, right? So
1: he, right. Yeah, it, it wasn't just the uniform. He was a tall guy. He was like over six feet tall. And he was a war veteran. I mean, he fought for years in the French Indian War. So he had military experience. Like there were other reasons to make him the commander, but it's like, he also clearly like really wanted it. Even if he didn't specifically ask for it, like why else would you wear your old uniform to these meetings <laughs> where that's not a requirement? <laughs> so did we just luck out that he was competent? I I mean, I I get. Well, no, cuz he I mean, they he they knew he was competent. Okay, fair, fair. Okay, that's fair. It's just
0: you're competent and you want it the most. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, so he uh he led the continental army during the revolutionary war and i'm not going to go into a ton of specifics on that cuz we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff when we talk about the patriot so a lot of that is is going to be covered there when we talk about the actual conflict of the revolutionary war but after the war was over he became what he is most known for is the first president of the united states he was the only president to not have a political party so far at time of recording (laughs) and he and this is something that I never really thought about but I guess it makes sense a lot of the norms that we have for the president and that office were set by George Washington like the fact that we call you know whenever you talk to the president you address him as Mr. President that's a George Washington thing yep Because there were some people that said, oh, no, it's like you're the leader of the country. We should call you like your majesty or, you know, your excellence or something. Yep. And he said, no, those titles are too like ostentatious and gaudy. And I just want to be called Mr. President, you know. Right. I don't want to be seen as like above anyone. Like, I don't want to be seen as a monarch
0: right everything about it was to sound as mundane and workmanlike as possible right it's only now 200 years later with the power of the united states that those things sound right grand
1: the fact that the office is called the office of the president that name that word president was specifically chosen to sound like boring and dull
0: right right it's the one who presides over the meeting, basically. Yeah. It's like,
1: oh yeah, you're the you're the president of the United States just like you're the president of your, you know, local whatever club. Yes. Like, no, that like the fact that president is has holds so much weight today is because the office of the of the president of the United States is so became so powerful. Right.
0: It's almost like, uh, yes, you're the placeholder. Um you're gonna be the placeholder in charge for now. Okay, I'll be the placeholder. And then placeholder right. becomes this austere title that everyone uh, aspires to
1: <laughs> exactly yeah the uh the whole giving an inaugural address that was a george washington thing hmm. that wasn't you know there's nowhere in the constitution where it says you have to give an right. inaugural address he did it and so everyone did it after him uh having a you know the executive branch be a cabinet made up of secretaries oh that's a george washington thing he came up with that huh also george washington when he became president, was not automatically commander in chief of the armed forces. That happened later on in 1798, when I guess there there was worry because of the French Revolution that they, there, they thought they were going to have to go to war with France, and so they put George Washington in charge of the armed forces, even though that didn't end up happening. Not I mean, at least not at that time. But then that is where that comes from: that the president is the commander in chief of the armed forces. Oh, okay. Huh. And I think that. Unlike the whole Mr. President thing or the inaugural address, that is a constitutional thing now. But, yeah, that's just, you know, it's another norm that was set with him that, you know, when you think about it, there's nothing, like, in nature that says that the president should be the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Like, there's nothing that says that that can't be a position held by someone else. Right. I I think it makes the most sense to do it that way, but there's nothing saying that you couldn't do it a different way.
0: Right, because I think you want it to be an elected official— and so, unless you're going to elect another national official like that, it just makes sense. Oh, just have him be the president then, right? Because that way, it's the kind of that way. You have the head of the military is technically accountable to the people versus uh, a military officer who's not elected, right? Um, so it makes sense. Be right. It wasn't necessarily embedded into the constitution that way.
1: Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that he inherited um, a bunch of slaves. He was a slaveholder. I think during his lifetime he owned like 500 something slaves. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he. You know, he was a white landowning rich guy from Virginia in the 18th century, like he owned slaves. Later on in his life, he did privately support the abolition of slavery, but he never publicly addressed it because he, you know, it was similar to him not being in a political party, he just didn't want to get in the middle of it.
0: He avoided hot-button issues intentionally, which is how he's able to have a cabinet of people who were on both sides right. of the political spectrum as it would exactly. later evolve.
1: Like, he had Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson both in his cabinet at the same time. Right, Who are, like, right. literally the founders of, you know, the split of what would later on become the political parties. But, yeah, so he freed half of his... or he So he... He wanted to free all of his slaves, but he couldn't convince the other heirs that inherited slaves with him to also free their slaves. And because his slaves that he owned were like... Related. ...lived and worked with and were intermarried with these other slaves that were owned by other people, he basically was like, okay, the lesser of two evils, I could either free these slaves and break up the families, or I just let the status quo remain... And then, you know, these families can stay together even though they are still enslaved. Interesting. Hmm. He also had, I think, half of his slaves were freed when he died and his wife, Martha, inherited the other half. But then she wanted to free them and ended up breaking up the families anyway. But, like, one of the things was that she would have kept the slaves until her death. So I guess there's... People think that like the reason that she was so keen on freeing them was because it's like, oh, well, that takes away incentive for them to like kill me (laughs) and and then become free. If I just free them now, (laughs) then, you know, you'll be free upon my death. Why are you looking at me that way? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And uh, so he and Martha, his wife, um, they had no children I think it's widely believed that he was made sterile from the uh, smallpox that he got in 1751 really? in Barbados. Huh. Yeah, so he, he had stepchildren with her. That's right, okay. But he he didn't never had any biological children of his own. In December of 1799, he fell ill. Doctors were not really able to figure out what was wrong with him. And one of the contributing factors to his death would probably the same as a lot of people this time. They didn't really know what to do, so they said, oh, well, let's just drain some of your bad blood so your body can make new good blood. And so they just did a lot of bloodletting on him, and that probably just made things a lot worse because he died, like, the next day. So he died uh, on December 14th, 1799, and he is buried at Mount Vernon with his wife, Martha. They're both still there today in Mount Vernon, Virginia. Another, just one more little uh, interesting little history thing. So there was a, the guy that gave the eulogy at his funeral, Henry Lee, who I guess was a military officer, uh, knew George Washington, gave the eulogy at his funeral. That is Robert E. Lee's father. Okay, crazy. Huh. And so yeah, so he died basically only like two years after he left office? Yeah.
0: Uh, the other one, I don't, I don't think you mentioned it. So the, also, the whole idea of a president doing two terms is another George Washington oh, thing,
1: right? Yeah, because he he kind of just decided. Yeah, I think two terms is enough,
0: right? And so to the point that it became the norm, and then even when Franklin Roosevelt broke the norm, they then codified it and amended the Constitution to make it the law. Right. Before it was just yeah. a tradition, and then right. Roosevelt was like, ah, eh, you know, I'm gonna just kind of keep running anyway because I'm popular right yeah and i think people kind of wanted i don't know if there was a written expectation anywhere in like letters or correspondence but i think that it's kind of thought we'll just keep electing you until we decide not to elect you or until you decide not to run oh really just two terms we'd love to keep having you as president like yeah the country's probably better off if you just keep staying president
1: right well because he was like he was you know no political party very much went out of his way to not you know, start these political fights over hot button issues like slavery, and was this? I mean, he was universally loved. Like yes. everyone in the country loved George Washington, I, even today. Even today, people, you know, who are who is your favorite president? Like Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Like it, it's, <laughs> you know, what I mean. It's like he even today he's 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 universally loved and and remembered as this you know this great American leader. So yeah, I mean if. If he wanted to, if he had the ambition, he probably, I mean, obviously he died, so it wouldn't have been that much longer, but like he could have just kept being president for as long as he wanted.
0: Right. And if he had been younger and and lived longer, right, we could have been talking about, oh, the six terms of George Washington if he had just decided to stay in that. And so uh, the person that's often cited in connection with George Washington, who I think Washington himself cited, was the the Roman dictator, Cincinnatus, uh, who the city Cincinnati is named after. And this is off the top of my head here, so uh forgive me if I have some of the details wrong, but the idea is that so they they would dictate a kind of had a different term for ancient Rome, and they would basically like give you temporary full power just because that makes basically make you commander in chief just that's going to make things operate way smoother in times of crisis, and then right. you give that power back, and Cincinnatus basically could have come a full on like you know, Caesar Augustus style. Like
1: Julius Caesar emperor, right?
0: Right. Could have, yeah, could have kind of just kept the reins of power. And he famously gave them back. I think even twice. I think he like became dictator, went back to go like work on his farm and retire from public life. Something else happens. They call Cincinnatus back, make him the dictator. Again, he's in charge of Rome for a couple of years or however long, again, calling all the shots, getting everything back in order. And then he hands back the reins of power to the Senate and goes back to be a farmer. Like, He just, just the idea of a guy who willingly gave up power for the good of the, for the good of the realm, for the good of the country. And George Washington was very much inspired by Cincinnatus when he kind of saw, you know what, I'm going to serve, put in my time. I'm just going to then retire uh, from public life and leave it to the next generation to carry forward and uh, without being too tied to the power itself. So uh, yeah, definitely a lot to commend in the figure of George Washington and his role in American history.
1: If you want to go see the uh, the Washington Monument, it is in Washington, D.C., and it is the tallest structure in Washington, D.C., and it will be forever because there is a, an actual law that says that nothing's allowed to be taller than it. So
0: I didn't know that. Okay. So I think I went up in it when we went there when I was in middle school. And then when I went back in 2018, it was actually under construction. So I didn't get to go back up to the top uh, again. I I hadn't heard that, though. That's crazy. And do you know when that was... It's actually pretty... It's older
1: than people think, right? Obviously, it's not from Washington's time. But isn't it over 100 years old? So I know that it was being built... I think it was being built during the Civil War. Because isn't that why... Wow. Isn't that why the color changes part way up because they stopped building it and then they like had to source the stones from somewhere else i i'm like i i don't know i I think (laughs) i'm pretty sure that there is a story because if you if you look at pictures of it it is a different color like the color of the stone changes slightly like about halfway up i never noticed that um
0: so if you look on the building years on wikipedia it says it was built from 1848 to 1854 comma 1879 to 1884. So, actually, even like seven years before the Civil War, it had stopped being constructed for, I guess, reasons. But we uh, won't okay. necessarily need to rehash. But yeah, so it is... It was completed 1884, which uh, yeah, is kind of crazy. because It looks... It looks so modern, you know, like it's just like that sleek, sharp angles, like it's, it's kind of a timeless, I know it's just a freaking like obelisk or whatever, like, but it...
1: Right, yeah, I mean, there's there's obelisks in e- right. like ancient Egypt that look the exact same.
0: <laughs> right, but I feel like they look old. This one doesn't look old. If you told me they That's decided true. to build yeah. it in in 1995, i would be like, oh yeah, that sounds right. about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a hundred years before that. And ha- had you been, have you been to Mount Vernon? I have not.
1: I have not been I've never been to
0: Mount Vernon. No. Okay. I would like to. Yeah, I've been to I've been to Monticello but not Mount Vernon. All right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll catch you later. <laughs> <laughs>